Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to September 9th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, big show tonight. A little change up in our plans. I think we've previewed our guests. Uh, Stephen Levitsky is going to be on next um, Sunday, uh, Rosh Hashanah's tomorrow, and so we kind of had to edit things around. So tonight we still ended up with a great guest um, coming on for the second time, uh, Daniel Nachinahan. And Daniel has written a, um, a Google Doc. I, I don't know if you can call that something you author, but it's this amazing spreadsheet. Actually, it's a Google Sheets, not Doc. Um, of the most competitive races in the country, and everybody is picking up on this thing, talking about it. And so we're lucky to have Daniel tonight to discuss uh, how he sees some of these 300-some-odd competitive races races in our nation. Um, but until then, uh, early in the week, a story broke, and it's just kept on all week. Uh, uh, there was an anonymous and I guess they're terming it an op-ed, although I'm not really sure the term. It really wasn't an opinion piece. Um, but uh, someone, inside, a senior official inside the White House, uh, writing a, an article, of opinion column, whatever you call it, saying that Americans should um, be a little more relieved because there are people, including this person, that are trying to protect the country, more or less, from Donald Trump. Uh, and you know, given specifics of things they have done. Uh, a lot of people have taken this thing a lot of different ways, but definitely the White House is, sh- and Donald Trump specifically, is very shaken up about this thing. Um, Catherine, what are some of your thoughts on the piece that was published by the New York Times? Well, I, my first reaction was uh, that I am not happy about uh, people undermining the elected president of the United States. Now, I don't like Donald Trump, and I suspect that um, this is probably helpful for our overall safety and security and place in the world. But um, who are these people? You know, he's an, this is an anonymous writer, and... Uh, why should we trust that they're doing the right thing when we don't know who they are? And uh, so that was my, I, the, my first reaction was sort of uh, fear and um, disappointment in our democratic process. I know I'm, it's contrary to a lot of people who thought it was great and, That was my first reaction. You're coming from. I mean, I'll 
to the person that's anonymous, wouldn't it have more power if just quit and publish this? I can't hear you, David. Uh, I'm David, you're uh, you're dropping in and out. Storm in Elm, Georgia, and so there's a lot of cloud cover. Yeah, what you're saying, it would it would have more power had they with uh, the administration published the article and even said they were. Um, that would have had some, you know, led more to it. But it is fascinating that this would happen in someone's White House because I can't think of another, you know, time in history in which someone has done anything close to this. Um, really speaking to these times, your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to assume you said Tim your thoughts because I was really, really having trouble following you there for a little second. Um, the, 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 the main thing I'm thinking right now is, um, this kind of, okay, we're having a lot of stuff. Yeah, we're having a lot of audio problems here. Okay, let me try again. This kind of harkens back to the time of Watergate, when... All of official Washington, D.C. was obsessed with the identity of Deep Throat. I know you all remember that. Of Um, course. Trump is absolutely obsessed with finding this person. His chief of staff, Kelly, bless his heart, is one of the men don't have a nervous breakdown. He's trying to talk him into just letting it go well. You 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 know you know how far that goes. What they do know in their investigation as into who it is, they think it's a man because somebody in the New York Times mentioned he or something like that. Kellyanne Conway said it is believed that the person is from the national security sector. Not sure why she believes that, but that's that's what she said. Um This article does pretty much mirror what Bob Woodward said in his book and what Michael Wolff, you might recall, said in his book. It also pretty much says what many ex-administration officials have said. Now, I'm with Catherine on this. I do not consider this person to be a hero. Um, Not, not, and it ain't just about the undermining the presidency stuff, because According to them, they are, along with a group of other people, trying to save Trump's presidency while at the same time pretty much admitting he is unfit for the job. I don't see how you can do uh, both of those things. And with this craziness, guys, some of the reaction uh, to it has been just crazy. So Rand Paul said people should submit to a lie detector. Oh, brilliant. Multiple officials in the White House submitted their own statement uh, with no coordination among anyone. Bunch of them came forward, I'd say 25 of them or so, to say, hey, it wasn't me, it wasn't me that did it, including the vice president. Uh, David, you're probably right that that the writer of the article who kept mentioning Lodestone might have been trying to make people think it was Pence. 
because he loves to use that word a lot. Uh, Trump, naturally, he's going to say something crazy about it. He said the New York Times publishing the the article could be called treason. Uh, and he <laughs> called on the Justice Department to launch an investigation to find the person who wrote it because he said it's national security. I, you know, I'm scratching my head on that one, too. So that, there you are. It, it, it's, it's a crazy thing. I've never seen anything remotely like this. I cannot think of anything remotely like this historically. Uh, this this is just that every time, guys, it seems that we have thought, well, it can't get any crazier than this. Hey, that gets blown away the very next week, don't it? Yes, most definitely. Uh, you were mentioned about how you read the New York Times publishing it. Uh, I saw where I don't know if he was in South Dakota speaking or he was interviewed by their paper. But he called on the two South Dakota senators, Rounds and Thune, both Republicans, to you know help pass some libel laws. I mean, I don't know why the two South Dakota senators would be the best uh, you know means of you know passing some type of new restrictions, essentially, on the First Amendment. But I mean, this is the kind of thing that I think Donald Trump wants to use this to then really modify the Constitution to where. You wouldn't have the same freedom of expression, freedom of the press, um, because he, of course, I guess going back to his days and before the presidency, he worries a lot about, you know, the tabloid media and other media criticizing him. Um, did did y'all see that, uh, Catherine? Did you see that about the South Dakota senators and, and how he was reacting there? Yeah, he's just – I don't think he recognizes that this means – Changing the constitution, or that it—I mean, he just is—he's um, just worried about himself and his own reputation, and screams libel or treason or whatever, just as a response to to this. Hmm. I mean, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Go ahead. I agree with Kelly. He should he- just let it go. He won't. Oh, definitely. Like a lot of things, <laughs> he, he should let it go. He actually gives um, credence to a lot of these things and makes them, you know, go on and on. I mean, maybe it helps him with his base, but as we can see through polling, his base is not expanding and may actually he's finally starting to shrink. Um, Tim, what's the fascination with the South Dakota senators? I, I don't know what that is unless he just happened to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. You know, if it had been another state, he'd have been hollering about their senators. This this guy hasn't given thoughts to changing the constitutions. I I think uh, he'd have no qualms about subverting it. Uh, and and, uh, and and by doing that, he'd just say, "Well, it don't mean that. It means this. It means what I think, and therefore yeah. I can do this. Of course, I can tell these." these uh, newspapers to settle down because they're all committing treason and they're publishing fake news. He he would say things like, you know, the First Amendment only applies 
if you're telling the truth. He, he'd say anything. And his base, you know what they'd say. That's right, President Trump. It's the awfulest thing we've ever seen. There's never been a president attacked like you, and God's on your side. And uh, I mean, there's uh, it, it's going to take one thing to stop this guy, and that's November the sixth, and that's it. We got to stop him right then. That is the only way, I believe. I don't believe Mueller or anybody else can stop him now. I believe it's November the sixth has to stop him. Come, well, and that'll uh, come up before Mueller. Um, well, yeah. well, let's kind of speculate. Let's say that they find the identity of the person. The person's identity's learned. Because, I mean, if they don't find the identity, I don't really know what's changed because they know they've had leaks. I mean, I mean, there's and this is kind of akin to leaks uh, as far as how they might react. But let's say they find the person's identity. Um, what happens both with the person and how the White House functions and then uh, electorally, does it have any impact on the election? Catherine, there's about three things there. Take him in any order. Um, well, if they figure out who it is before they, I mean, I think that if it gets close to figuring out, if the person who wrote it feels like they're getting close, then he's going to, he's going to come forward, I would imagine. And, uh, he'll write a book and, I mean, I don't think think there's anything they can do to him. I don't think. I mean, what doesn't seem like he's done. I don't think he's broken any laws, according to, you know, all the legal analysts on the talk shows. Um, uh, electorally, well, I think that would depend on who it is. If it's a, you know, high-ranking, a partisan person, a high-ranking Republican, then I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I haven't really thought about how it would affect um, the elections. I, I, I'm not sure I have a, I have a, I have a theory about that. I think it would depend on who it is, though. Whatever the reaction, yeah. I think is going to make a difference. Who it is, Tim? What do you think? Yeah, I, yeah, Tim. Well, first of all, if somebody don't say it was me, how are they going to find out who did it? Because the New York Times certainly isn't going to tell who did it. Woodward and Bernstein kept Deep Throat's identity secret for almost 45 years. Never said a word about who it was and never would have. The guy came forward, died. And that, and then right after he died, uh, Bob Woodward said, well, yeah, that was him. But how how are they going to find out who it is? You know, we, we were talking earlier in the week about how funny it would be if it were this person <laughs> or that person. My perfect scenario, they find that it's some mid-level official that works at the Department of Defense, and his name is Frederick Douglass. Would that be the funniest thing you've ever heard in your life? Uh, David thought it being Pence would be funny. Um, I heard a rumor. Pence, Pence was actually two of yeah, yeah, Pence was actually two on my list. To me, the funniest would be Barron, his son. 
Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the teenage son oh. has actually got, and, you know, more uh, political acumen than the father, which would not yeah. surprise me in the least. Um, you know, I think somebody mentioned yeah. um, First Lady, and then, of course, I said, well, that means Michelle Obama had to write it, and she, Melania Trump could have copied That's it. That's pretty funny, um, too, by the way. <laughs> so, well, I heard a rumor today. Someone told me they read um, somewhere, you know, who knows, I can't remember where it was, said it was Nick Ayers to Georgia. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I will say this, the fact that it has that lodestone, is it lodestone or lodestar something? Um, I believe so, it's lodestone, uh, isn't it? Yeah, lodestone. Lodestone, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it's the phrase yeah. that Pence likes to use. So could yeah. it be someone that either spends a lot of time with him when he's using this phrase, or write speeches for him, because I really don't think it's Mike Pence. Um, you know, all he's got to do is just stay calm, and he, he might get a year or two in office if uh, Donald Trump gets pushed out. Um, so I, I don't think he would, you know, jeopardize that anyway. And he seems to be kind of – I mean, when he when he got sent to the Colts game that time, he, he seemed like the, kind of a yes man to me when he, um, you know, did that little stunt for Donald Trump. So that kind of took care of that. Well, we mentioned the polls, and I don't think, barring it be somebody that everybody knows who they are, like a Pence or, um, you know, maybe General Kelly, somebody like that. I mean, if they have to put their bio with them in a heavy, you know, rotation so people know it is, that probably won't have a lot of political impact. But this week we did see polls showing that Donald Trump's approval rating is now down into the 30s. I mean, it looks like. If he's not down to his bare base, he's awfully close. Uh, Catherine, do you think that these polls are accurate and he is starting to slip five, ten points in approval? Uh, yeah, I think he's starting to lose it. <laughs> um, but I think there's still you know, a solid base of whatever percentage that is never going to give up on him either because of ego because they've supported him all this time and they're going to always find a um uh explanation for something that maybe they question or they just really they they really do believe that he's doing a great job i don't yep. know what the what mind works that way but i think there must there is there are some yeah Tim, among us polls, there was ABC question and poll showed him in the 30s approval, in the 60s disapproval. I mean, it was just bad. I mean, it was George W. Bush at the end of the second term bad, and this is midway through the first term without a bad economy. Um, you know, pretty tenuous economy, and we can discuss and debate who built that economy uh, more or less, but. Um, you know, really a president should not be with these numbers given, you know, what's going on. And yet Donald Trump has horrible approval numbers based on this poll. Um, what is what is this meaning, Tim? Well, you know, politically speaking, there are those who watch and say, 
you know, aha, finally now he's gone too far. I I I, I have in the past been among those who have said that. <laughs> uh, I, I freely admit it, uh, but I, I don't think I can do that anymore. Uh, I, I, I'm thoroughly convinced that Trump is keep about 90%, not just of his base, but of the Republicans in full, in his corner, at least for now. And until the midterms, nothing will shake him away from them. They, they will stand with him to try to stay in power the way they see it. They have nowhere else to go. Politically speaking, that is what I believe. Uh, all that being said, uh, I do think he's lost a little bit of steam. But it seems to be coming into line with the polls that have consistently shown the Democrats uh, mid-single digits to low double digits ahead on the congressional ballot. I think it's just coming into line with that. Maybe his numbers were a little artificially high. Um, and maybe they'll rebound a little bit after what Chris Salisa rightly called the week from hell. But I do think he's lost a couple of points. That could be enough to turn uh, a decent Democratic win into a much bigger one. It wouldn't take much, would it? Just a few people among his group staying at home. That's all it would take now. And that's a perfect segue from yes, because he's not only looked at the national picture, but certain states, certain congressional districts, and all kind of races. Um, welcome back to Kudzu Vine, Mr. Daniel Nachinin. Hi. It's great to be on again. Yes. Well, you made quite a bit of news this past week. I don't know if this is part of your research at University of Chicago, um, but you published a Google uh, Sheets, um, a spreadsheet for those that don't know what that is, and you shared it um, pretty freely around the Internet, and it got all kinds of attention. Uh, what prompted you to do this? Um, well, I think it's effectively what you just said, that there's been so much attention paid at the um, federal races and at races that are happening for governor, but so much of the, of the change that, that, that might come in the United States and so much of the day-to-day -day decisions that are having a huge impact is happening at other levels of government. Um, through, and there's a ton on the ballot in November, where uh, whether referenda and initiatives, um, whether DA races and, and, and sh sheriff races that are so important for issues like immigration policy, um, and, and state-level races um, for uh, state assembly and state senate that are going to have a huge impact on the type of policies that um, that everyone um, that I think is, is probably um, hearing this this show uh, cares about and um, and the idea of, of this of this cheat sheet as I call it um, which at the moment contains about 368 um, specifically 
elections that are happening in November that I think are very important um, for, for the future of the country. Um, beyond, um, so it contains Senate and governor races, but also things that are further down the ballot. And it's the idea is just to really show people the depth of what's going on and to hopefully get people um, excited, involved, interested in some of these under the radar elections that I'm happy to go into more detail um, that I think are, are very important if you care about uh, if you care about change. Yes, and I think you're on to something with some of those other races, like for instance, I know in 1992, uh, Clinton won the state of Georgia. Um, the only one that's happened to someone from the state of Georgia has won. And a lot of people say that the lottery being on the ballot uh, brought out new voters or, or more voters mm-hmm. than normally would vote, and they leaned for Clinton, and that gave him that state. Um, so I, I think sometimes that will happen. Uh, but let me kind of, since there's a lot here, and I don't think we begin to ask about all of it, I'm going to ask right. about a few Senate things, and then we'll leave some more for Catherine and Tim to ask about. They may ask going back to Senate, too, or they may have some other ones. But uh, we know there's a lot sure. of competitive Senate races. Mm-hmm. Of the incumbents that are running um, on the Democratic side, there's a few of them in red states that are just, right. some, frankly, some of Trump's better states. Which uh, right. one of those is going to have the toughest time winning re-election? Right. Um, so I, I believe the, the, uh, the statistic that everyone has, has been repeating for more than a year is that there are 10 Democratic senators running in states that, that, in states that, that Trump carried um, last year or two, two, two years ago now. Um, and and, that's, and, and f- five, five of them are in states that Trump carried very, very overwhelmingly by 20 or more, 20 or more points. Um, and I think the most attention in terms of endangered um, incumbents is on, um, in, North, in North Dakota, um, in Indiana, in Missouri. Um, those are three states where polls are showing tight races. Um, and then the and then the 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 race and then the state where there's a lot of Democrats that are, seem to be concerned about, but Trump didn't win that overwhelmingly is Florida, because Governor Scott um, for for a few reasons one is that Governor Scott has been spending an enormous amount of money of his own money um, on on the Senate race in Florida. He's a, uh, Governor Scott is a Republican. Um, another reason in Florida is that uh, 10% of the state's population is not allowed to vote in Florida, including more than 20% of African Americans, um, and that is according to a regime of, of uh, a regime that the Governor Scott has made much more strict and much tougher since he became governor, um, and that that is also um, that also makes it make makes that particular race harder to, to talk about or discuss in the context of, like, a fair, uh, fair elections. Um, definitely yeah. those are um, going to be so important because there's so many um, red state Democratic seats that right. have to be held before you can then add to it. Well, let me flip over. I could ask kind of the, uh, different question, or the same question about Republican-held seats, but there's just sure. one I want to ask about because I find okay. it to be the most fascinating – of all of the uh, Senate elections, and that's in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted yeah. Cruz, uh, a very high-profile Republican senator that's very popular with the conservative base, facing Beto O'Rourke, probably mm-hmm. in least recent uh, history, one of the best-funded, most viable candidates Democrats have run in Texas, but also one of the most progressive 
uh, candidates for a state like Texas. Do you think that that seat could be one that switches? Well, it, I think more, more important than than more important than my opinion at this point is the opinion of of, of Republican um, officials, and um, there's there's just a lot of a lot of um, stories right now that are being published over the past week or two about Republican officials, uh, White House officials, um, the people who control the money or where the money goes for independent expenditures, and they seem to be very increasingly concerned about about the state of Texas. Um, they seem to be concerned both that Cruz, uh, yeah, both that Cruz could actually lose, but also that, but even if he wins, that it, it will take a fair amount of money um, to, to to suddenly save him. So it does seem like something is happening. Something is happening in Texas, and you know we 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 already know that Texas is drifting um, is drifting toward Democrats, both because of um, the changing the, uh, demographic of the state. But also because a lot of the suburban areas of Texas swung swung actually towards Clinton already a couple of years ago, um, and so if you put all that together with 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 Trump's unpopularity, it's not it's not um, it it's kind of all coming together to at least produce a competitive a competitive race um, now. And and Beto O'Rourke is getting a lot of attention for having a lot of charisma, energy for campaigning for campaigning. Um, for gaming a lot, also to, to, for uh, putting the focus on interesting issues. Like he's had um, a very interesting op-ed on the need for criminal uh, uh, justice reform, which is not an issue that a lot of federal candidates embrace, which is which is actually very important to talk about. Um, and and so yeah, so it seems like something is happening in Texas. Whether it will be enough to to actually make um, Democrats win for the first time in about 20 years, I believe, um, is remains to be seen. I think. Yes. Well, I could continue to ask you about different races, but I'm going to be fair to Catherine and Tim and pass it to her, and then she'll pass it to Tim. They can ask about governor's races, more Senate races, House races, awesome. whatever they please. Catherine? for being on, and I cannot echo strongly enough your uh, point about municipal and local elections being so important. Mm-hmm. The, one thing I, the one thing I will add to it is it also builds our bench. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can't always have people walk out of the clouds and run for higher office. It's much more it's much more effective to have people come up in the ranks of the um, legislatures and uh, mm-hmm. municipal. Uh, so that's great, and I and I mm-hmm. applaud these efforts. I think it's really helpful. I want to ask you about three ballot initiatives: um, mm-hmm. West Virginia, uh, Oregon, and Alabama. All have. Um, I, I apologize. I have not had a chance to look at the spreadsheet. My um, no, no for some reason it wouldn't open on my iPad. Whatever. Um, there, all three states have um, anti-abortion ballot initiatives on their um, on their uh, elect in their in their election in November. I'm not as mm-hmm. familiar with the Oregon and West Virginia one. I'm very familiar with the Alabama one. Mm-hmm. Um, truth be told, I work for Planned Parenthood, and we're uh, we've launched a big campaign to try to um, stop that um, ballot initiative in Alabama. What do you, have you looked at those three ballot initiatives, and what what is your what are your thoughts about them? If you have, um, yeah, I, I have I, I've not looked at the, the details about them, um, but I am so in Alabama. The it's um, a ballot initiative that would kind of have this 
idea of protecting unborn life or proclaiming the the sanctity of it as as the language I think of the um, of the amendment goes. Um, in West Virginia, it's um, the idea that there would the, the language is that there wouldn't be a state right to um, to abortion. Obviously, Alabama and West Virginia are two uh, conservative states. Um, and um, in Alabama, especially, the ballot initiative obviously will face a lot of the litigation um, for for reasons of a federal a federal law. I believe I will I, I, I would have to check this, but I believe that um, I, that I read that the initiative contains language that prevents the spending of legal funds to 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 de- de- defend the initiative if it's. If it's challenged, and I believe that they expect the they expect that the initiative would be struck down, but I think it's also an opportunity for conservatives in Alabama to to count themselves, to to mobilize around the issue, and to to to, to, right. and to, to bring more Republicans to the polls, and, and a lot of things that a lot of things that go with this. Um, in Oregon, the initiative is a ban on the funding uh, on using a fund. Uh, st- uh, State funds to fund insurance or abortions. I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure at the moment who is pushing who has sponsored that and what the chances are for for passage. But it seems to me that 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 that, that the Oregon one is the most important um, in terms of what the consequences could be um, almost immediately um, in yeah, in that that's state. that's true. That, the the Alabama is a tr- what they call a trigger law. So that means right. That, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, then right. uh, abortion becomes illegal, autom- you know, pretty much right. instantaneously. But um, I think you're, you know, we saw in Georgia, I think it was in 2006, a mm-hmm. uh, ban on uh, a gay marriage ban, which brought all mm-hmm. the conservatives out to vote. And I think that you're right. These are these ballot initiatives, while they uh, might might appear to the public to be um, altruistic and, um, you know, protecting uh, what they call protecting unborn children. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I question that language, but um, right. they're really meant to bring people out to the polls. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when they, when they learn exactly what the laws mean, uh, because the language is very vague in some cases, most of most people uh, object to them uh, when they learn exactly what it means, but because we uh, don't all have time or the willing interest in reading all the language and understanding what they mean, they just come out and vote vote for them because they think it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm um, so I will, happy that. Go ahead. No, I, mean, I was going to add that I, um, I I think in this current moment with with the, the changes in the Supreme Court. It's obviously important to not be uh, obviously at all flippant about the chances of Roe versus Wade being being overturned, and so the and so trigger laws in, um, could actually be very important, right, in the next four, exactly. five, six years. Um, and and the reverse of that is that um, it's important to to put in place the trigger the inverse trigger laws uh, or that not trigger laws to in, in to remove the existing trigger laws, let's say, um, in in some blue states and and swing states that actually still have laws that would automatically ban abortion at the state level if Roe versus Wade were overturned. Um, I, I remember seeing uh, the Lee Coates had a map a, a couple of months ago the day that 
Kennedy retired of, of, of blue, blue states like Massachusetts that actually still have laws in place that haven't been removed. Um, and, so, and so it's especially important to think about those, those laws and, and removing them. Yeah that's, yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't realize that, so yeah. thank you. Well, I'm going to pass it to Tim for his uh, inquiry. Thank you so much Great. for being on the show and for doing of all course. this work. It's really good. Of course. Oh, good evening, Daniel, and thank you for being with good us evening. again. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at your list of governor's races to watch, right. New York is among the most democratic states in the country, so why should we keep an eye on their governor's race? Um, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great question. Um, New York is unlikely to be competitive um, in, in the November's, or at least I don't expect it to be, um, to be competitive in November, but everyone is, um, as you may, as you're aware of, everyone is very closely while watching it, um, this, this week, cause the primary is, is on, is on Thursday. Um, but oh, given yeah. the amount of, but, 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 but given the amount of excitement and, um, interest is generating. I um, I'm trying to leave races that have that much excitement on um, on the list. That said, there there are a number of very strongly Democratic states where Republicans are expected to do well or compete very highly in in that governor's race level. Um, so instead of addressing New York, let me just mention that um, Maryland, Connecticut. Um, Massachusetts and Vermont either have Republican governors or have candidates running for governor, um, Republican candidates that are that are expected to do well, um, and and that you know and that 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 is I think a mix of um, of the kind of politics that they portray themselves as having, um, mm-hmm. and of the state of the the Democratic Party in some some of the states. Um, in Connecticut, it's in part a reaction to the fact that Democrats have governed the state for a while, so there usually is competition in such circumstances. Um, but but I think those are some of the most important. Oh, Maine is um, Maine. I will add because it's a state that Democrats have done well in on some level, and yet mm-hmm. they and yet Paul LePage is the current governor. He's one of the most conservative governors in the country, and he has blocked the May uh, the. Uh, the expansion of Medicaid over the past year, even though voters approved it last year. Um, mm-hmm. And so all, all, all of these races for governor in blue states or blue-leaning states are, are really very important in deciding policy for the next four, uh, for the next uh, four years. And, and funny you should mention other states as governor. Of course, we love to talk about <laughs> Governor Walker on here mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. from Wisconsin. Right. Uh, how much trouble is he in this year? Oh, he's in. Um, Scott Walker is um, is in very big trouble for um, for a number of reasons. For one, it's very hard to um, win a third term in office, especially when you've gone uh-huh. the way he has, which 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 is attracting a particularly conservative profile. And you know, he he won in years where Republicans did well everywhere nationally. But but and but Wisconsin is is a is a closely divided state, and now the Democrats have done well um, in Wisconsin specifically this year in a number of special elections. Um, Democrats have picked up a number of conservative uh, states uh, states uh, has, has, uh, 
Senate seat in Wisconsin, and they decisively won a Supreme Court election there in April. Um, and and the Democrats are running um, uh, a candidate to, um, to Tony Evers, who's the superintendent of education um, in Wisconsin, and he's running um, very strong campaign. He won a close primary, uh, and the polls have are either close or have Evers up slightly. Um, and obviously for obvious reasons that, that you've, I'm sure, covered based on um, the governor, Governor Walker's positions towards, towards labor, towards unions, and many other issues, um, this would be a very important win um, for, for Democrats. And they're also trying to get control of the state Senate at the same time, which would help them um, which would help strengthen their hand in the policy making, right, in the next in the next few years. And, and let me add from the heart here, uh, solely, uh, if Governor Walker were, were to lose, what what a sad day for all of us it would be, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now I want to turn right quick um, before I turn it back over to David um, to the House. Mm-hmm. At present, you have a little over ninety. GOP held seats listed to keep an eye on. Now, obviously, 90 seats are not going to flip, or, or even 90 total seats are even in danger presently right. of flipping. So, for the benefit of our listeners, when you use the term keep an eye on, right. what all are you looking at besides the danger of a seat flipping? What else are you looking at in these races? Right. Um, so you are right that it's extremely unlikely that 90 seats or anywhere close will will flip. Um, I think so. The 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 the, I, the way in which I've done the the house rate is I've included any GOP held seat that is rated by at least one of the prominent uh, forecasters, which is Cook, Sabato inside elections and the daily coast um, and and the links are at the bottom of the spreadsheet for anyone who who goes and and wants to look at more detail Um, any of them that 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 one of these forecasters are not rating as safe with a few exceptions that I've added and removed but I think what I think is um, to answer your question um, there is a set of seats that are obviously vulnerable because we know that they're closely divided to start with and that mm-hmm. they and that in a situation where voters are looking to oust Republicans, even if it's a small fraction of voters have changed their mind from two years ago, or there's a difference in turnout, these are the seats that are going to move, that are that are that are going to flip. But then there's a lot of, I mean, if if we're in a situation where Democrats are having an especially good night, and and there's certainly a lot of indications that that will be the case, um, they, they there is really. Um, there, the the limit of what the, the, there's a, a lot of seats where President Trump got a decisive victory, or that are traditionally conservative, um, or that there's a different sort of, or where is the kind of the new Democratic coalition of like more suburban voters that fight for Clinton, um, or might, and we we don't exactly know to what degree these these, these different groups or these voters are gonna. Are going to are going to switch their votes or are going to turn out, and so there's a lot of conservative leaning districts that people are are keeping an eye on. Um, that and especially in in kind of wave elections, there's often seats that people didn't really pay uh, pay attention to that end up 
that 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 we end up end up flipping. Um, so I think that's why there's there's so many um, that 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 is why there there's so many um, seats. And just as a reminder, Alabama, which um, where where Democrats picked up a Senate seat, was won mm-hmm. by President Trump by, by I think more, more than by more than twenty percentage points. Um, mm-hmm. So so the potential for big flips and big shifts exists exists everywhere, right? So I think that that is the idea of keeping a big eye on on the kind of things that and, might flesh. And with a big eye, that brings up the big $64,000 question. When mm-hmm. you are watching the polls close on election mm-hmm. night, right. do you feel that the results are going to show that this is a national race or a series of state races? Um, I think at the level of, ha- of the of the house races, um, and and probably the further down the ballot you go, the more the, the more this will be felt um, for state mm-hmm. Senate and state Senate and state house races, where it's hard for candidates to individually kind of develop a profile for obvious reasons because it's it's further more it's, it's less visible. Um, it's likely that in an election year, in a midterm year with the president so unpopular, it's likely that there they will be just trend. Trends uh, that are more that are more national. I think what is concerning to Democrats is that the Senate, the, the states that are going to decide the Senate, really are not at all uh, rep, rep, representative of the country as a whole. Again, we're talking about North Dakota, West Virginia, Indiana, Missouri, mm-hmm. and 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 Montana. Um, Democrats are def- defending five states in the five seats in the states I just mentioned, all of which are um, remarkably conservative. In part because small states have each, as, as we all know, every state has the same number of, of seats, and that's producing a, a very large bonus for the sort of smaller um, smaller states that, that that are more likely likely to be to be Republican. And so at the Senate level. It might be a very different answer to your question because then Democrats are really trying to do the inverse. They're trying to make sure that the, you know, the, the their reputation and uh, as individual senators in the state um, is good enough to 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 sustain the to sustain the state's Republican lean. Um, so that's so I think that that is kind of the the predicament that, that Democrats are in for the Senate um, as opposed to the House or for or for state elections. All right, and for that, I thank you, sir. And with that, I will send it back to David. David? Awesome. Yes. Well, Daniel, we want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, before you go, though, we want to let people know a chance where they can read some of your work, maybe where they can find a link to this document, because obviously the the address to the document is not reasonable to uh, right. read out. Um, but where, so where can people find you? Oh, um, so I am on Twitter at Taniel. Um, it's T-A-N-I-E-L. Um, and, and the spreadsheet that, that, that we are discussing is actually the pinned tweet on my, um, on my Twitter profile. So it's, again, T-A-N-I-E-L. And if you just go, the, the first thing you'll see is, um, is, is, is a spreadsheet. And again, um, if you're interested in getting involved and in, there's a lot of uh, referenda listed, there's so many, like there's three states that are voting to expand Medicaid. Um, there's a lot of very important things like that. And, um, and yeah, so you should, everyone should check out all, all that's happening uh, because it's very exciting. 
Yes. Well, thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. This was this was it, it was great to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Good to talk to you too. Yeah. Great. All right. Uh, University of Chicago doctoral student uh, writes at Daily Kos, picked up by Political Wire. All these other things. T- uh, Daniel at Twitter would be the easiest way. Uh, Daniel Chinahan. Um, well, let's kind of, Catherine, you mentioned Alabama, uh, which we know they had a great election back in December, but we don't see them as the uh, top-tier state on electoral races. Um, but that uh, they, they did get in the news this past week. And Jeff Sessions, he's been a longtime uh, former senator from um, Alabama and now attorney general who's still from Alabama. Uh, he's been the longtime whipping boy of um donald trump and this past week donald trump not only attacked jeff sessions but in many ways not only everybody from alabama but a lot of people that were either born or raised educated in the south um somebody who now lives in the south that that wasn't born and raised in the south what's your take on how donald trump um kind of framed jeff sessions and then millions of other people that that share a similar uh, history to Jeff Sessions. I just, I I was, I wasn't surprised by it, of course. I think we all, all of us who um, work with people from, that aren't from the South, get that, um, we hear that, maybe not as blatantly, uh, more subliminally, um, you know, that us Southerners aren't so smart or aren't so uh, sophisticated. I think we all sense that sometimes. Um, But, you know, it's typical of Donald Trump to use whatever um, insult he can find at the moment to uh, diminish people. That's his that's sort of his M.O. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to feel sorry for Jeff Sessions, but I, I do think it was, uh, I mean, it's just a, um, a we argument. I mean, some of the greatest universities are in the South. Some of the, you know, biggest, I mean, we've got, I mean, look at Atlanta. We've got the CDC. We've got Emory. We've got Georgia Tech. I mean, we're not stupid. Um, so let's, but it's, it's, like I said, it didn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, actually when you look at Alabama, Wikipedia, which is the internet's resource of information. I mean, the online encyclopedia, Jimmy Wells, the the co-founder was actually from Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so, so that guy kind of gets silly when you do that. Um, but the fact to me, Tim, that Donald Trump brings this up. Um, the South, and particularly even voters outside the South, they may be in the Midwest, out West, um, West Virginia, which is really not Southern. A lot of those rural voters that he considers his base probably identify with the upbringing and experience of someone like Jeff Sessions. Uh, isn't it quite hypocritical that Donald Trump is – uh, you know, putting down the experience of so much of his base throughout the country. Yeah, well, in, in Jeff Sessions' case, you you 
you've you've read his resume. You you know his military background. You know his civilian background. You know his background in government. Um, for Donald Trump to call somebody like that dumb, it's not just Southerners. He he's he said these things about John McCain. He said demeaning things about about everyone. But to say something like this. First of all, uh, about a Southerner, which we don't like that at all. And, and secondly, to the first senator who endorsed him, to one yeah. of his most loyal supporters, to to say that about him. Uh, and, and you know what? Trump's, he's one of these uh, New York guys. I, I think I think he believes that stuff, too. I think he believes his base is that way. Uh, and it's okay, you know, for someone from another part of the country to believe that about this part of the country. We've had that stigma attached to us for a long time. Sometimes it was even dessert among certain crowds down here. But in this case, we have a president who probably owes his presidency to these types of people. Now, if they're so dumb, why did they vote for him? You know, uh, still, I think his base will like it. I'll say, ah, well, you know, that's just, that's just Trump being Trump. Or they'll say, well, you know, he denied saying it, so it didn't happen if he said it didn't happen. And, uh, uh but I, I I have absolutely no doubt that Trump believes that about Sessions and Southerners in general. Uh, but 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 still, I hold to what I said earlier, guys. I believe Donald Trump, no matter what, at least through the midterms, hangs on to ninety percent of the Republican Party for political purely political reasons. Until they lose, they got to stay with him in their minds. Uh, I think he could walk up and slap them, and they'd still say, ah, you know, that's just Donald Trump being Donald Trump. Uh, you know what I've wondered, uh, guys? Would all this stuff be that funny if the economy were to suddenly crash? Not just the Southern thing, all of it. How how would well, yeah, everybody and, react then? Yeah, I mean, then it would be a lot more real for um, other voters that maybe not support him, and it would be one thing that um, a lot of his base then would have to really choose these cultural issues they seem to be supporting him on and their pocketbooks. Well, Although there is fascinating evidence that this economy, that, that this economic um, really stability more than an uptick. But, but I mean, we'll be fair, it is a much better economy than, say, 2007. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not an even economy. It's actually in cities and in more populated areas, the economy's doing much better than in rural areas. So it's not an even recovery um, throughout different geographic parts of the country. So a lot of people where his bases are, um, are not experiencing the same reco uh, recovery that people that probably by and large oppose him are. Um, so that's kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, we talk about his base leaving him. 
this to me could be something if he continued to talk about this and continued to to push this or we find some kind of, you know, Omarosa has some kind of secret recording where he really is offensive to people from the South or rural communities or whatever it may be, that could be something that caused him to lose several percentage more points off his base and really make it to where, you know, he couldn't, you know, win re-election and might actually suffer in the primary. Um, so I think it's something to watch that will there be more to this in coming weeks or is it just going to be isolated towards his disdain for Jeff Sessions for really just not doing what he wants to do and Jeff Sessions is actually following the law and uh, doing the right thing for America. Um, I think that's where a lot of the anger comes from. Uh, Catherine, what do you think the political outcome of this is? Oh, not much. Uh, I don't think uh, – I mean, I think people who, like us, who are offended by um, some of this language are not big fans of uh, Jeff Sessions anyway. And so we, while we might be um, insulted by the – by the language and by the inference um, are not going to, you know, stand up and fight for Jeff Sessions. Um, so I don't think there's much political. I, I mean, maybe you're right. If it continues or if there's some expose about it, that that might have an impact. But um, as it stands right now, I don't think it matters much. I think Tim's right. They just laugh it off or um, or say, yeah, well, you know, Jeff Sessions isn't being – um, the loyal uh, Trump supporter that he should be. You know, yeah, I, I mean, so, it has to be more. I, I was just going to throw in another question. How, how is somebody like Session sitting there and taking that? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, but but he really doesn't seem like a, a executive, independent kind of, you know what I mean? He, he, he was better in a legislative body. Uh, he doesn't seem to be that kind of personality. He seems to be more of a, um, you know, a member of a group. Not a bad thing. I mean, but just um, I, he just doesn't seem to have that personality. Now, Kate McKinnon's portrayal of him on um, Saturday Night Live was probably not doing his, you know, persona any favors. Um, speaking of that, real quickly, because I don't think we have time to get another topic. You know, these bad poll numbers have happened, and sometimes I've noticed that. Um, Republicans and, and Trump will suffer when Saturday Night Live has new episodes with the skits. The Daily Show, last week with John um, Oliver, all these shows are going and really new content, new joke material, new stuff online. And this dip actually happened while um, pretty much all of that was on hiatus. Um, you know, because Daily Show came on, I think. After Labor Day, it had been on about a almost a two week hiatus. Oliver had been off, and then um, of course, Saturday Night Live had been on since last May. Um, do you think when that those types of uh, entertainment things that do filter in through social media and whatnot, or replays other places, uh, do y'all think that will kind of hit Trump a little harder, or maybe ding another two or three points off, Catherine? <laughs> That's an interesting. That's an interesting mm. question. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, I don't know if it'll ding points off, but it'll, <coughs> if anything, it'll just, 
you know, embolden the the people who aren't fans, I, I imagine. I don't know. That's an interesting question. It'll be interesting to see if there's any impact when they come back live. Yeah. Tim, any, any chance that might further weaken him? Uh, I don't think it's so much that as it is these just body blows he keeps taking. He can't have uh, many more weeks like he has had this past week, not because his numbers would go any lower. I don't think they will. I think he has a solid float, and I think that's been exhibited throughout his presidency. But I don't think he would have an uptick that he needs in order to help candidates across the country yeah, that's, win. Yeah. And they need some help. They are setting eight and a half points behind right now in 538's uh, con- congressional generic ballot and, and nearly eight points in the real clear politics. So it's pretty stable, eight to eight and a half points all the way across. That's enough to lose the House right there. And if he can't get his poll numbers to tick up a little bit, then uh, he's, he's not going to be helping too many people. Yeah, the House looks like it's pretty much gone. Uh, uh, Something that would be fascinating, I wish we'd had time to ask Daniel this, would you rather have, like, say, 10 governorships to flip, including big states like ours and Florida, or and and then maybe not win the Senate, come like a seat or two short, or win the Senate with 51 and just maybe, say, flip three governorships? Because I think that um, you may not win the Senate, or you may, but the governorships long-term may help you get a much better uh, redistrict, redistricting profile for the next decade. It'll be interesting to look at. Well, we're real excited. Next week, um, Stephen Levitsky, author of How Democracies Die, will be on the show. Till then, but the Cudsey Vine. Good night, Good night y'all. guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world. America has created the longest peacetime economic experience.